This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Live from Santa Monica, California, this is the show that is perpetually working on its tan and also learning what new acronyms mean like L-I-S-K. And yes, that's right. Today we are talking about Gilgo Beach suspect Rex Hoyerman. I have my dear friend of the program, Jody Weber, former FBI agent. We're going to discuss the evidence against this man that has come out. We are going to discuss this newly surfaced video where he discusses some tools in his workshop at home. And also we're going to do a touch base on the Portland and the disappearances of the women in Portland and what's going on. Jody Weber has some very unique inside info that she wants to share with us. So we'll start the program off with that live from Santa Monica, California. This is Moving Past Trauma. Mover Nation, I'm your host, Collier Landry. Let's get into it. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial. In- when I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. Mover Nation, what's going on? Happy Wednesday, July 19th, and to make it extra special, I have my little special guest, Mary Soul. Chihuahua. <laughs> I have my dear friend, Jody Weber, former FBI agent, host of the Caught in My Web podcast. She's going to share her unique perspective on the Gilgo Beach murders and our suspect, Rex Hoyerman. Uh, we're also going to analyze a video of him describing a workshop tool that he may have used. And was that potentially a weapon that was used in this case? I don't know. We'll find out. And also a brief update on what's going on in Portland because we haven't heard a lot but there's another body that has turned up. And according to Jody's sources in law enforcement, there is a potential suspect that they are looking at. So she's going to share her inside track info to that. Mover Nation, let's get into it. Right, Marisol? Mm-hmm. Jody Weber, thank you so much for yes. joining the program again. You, you are welcome, Collier Landry. I love how you're, you're now saying on, um, on Twitter, the hit true crime podcast caught I, in my I'm web. Trying. I love this. <laughs> I'm like... I love it. I'm trying. Like, who's going to challenge me on that? You know, no, it is a hit, and it's and you're you you have such a unique perspective, and you know, uh, for my audience, you know, we've had this arrest of of the the potential Long Island serial killer. You were texting me last night. You have some updates on this Portland case that's going on with these missing women. Why don't we start with that, the Portland case? Because you said you had some some proprietary information. I'd love to hear about it. Absolutely. Well. Several weeks ago, it came out that there were five or six women at that time who had been found deceased in and around Portland within a 100-mile radius of the city. And law enforcement indicated because these women were found in the vicinity of Portland, but in different counties, in different jurisdictions, law enforcement indicated 
yes, we are talking to each other. We're aware that there's been a death over here and a death, death over there. But at this time, we don't see a connection. But be reassured, public, we're talking. Well, by saying that, all they did was panic people that, wait, there's five or six dead women. Do we have a serial killer? So it had the opposite effect. And so law enforcement kind of backpedaled a little bit. And they said, no, no, we don't think there's a serial killer. Don't put words in our mouth. We're not saying that. We're just saying we're aware that there are several deaths and we're talking to each other. Well, fast forward now. We've had another death in the past few days. Another woman's body was found in a vacant building, 43 years old. Um, the autopsy determined that she was killed by homicidal means. We don't know particularly what type of methodology was utilized, if she was strangled, shot, stabbed, or what, but it was homicide. And then it just came out in the last 24 hours that law enforcement is now admitting they do have a link between four of the initial first victims. They have found a connection and that they have a suspect they are looking at. It's a man who has been in and out of custody for the past 20 years or so. He has an extensive criminal record for burglary, theft, assault, um, different types of just, you know, trouble. Is, is the best way to put it, just always in trouble for sure, one thing or sure. another. So they are looking at him and they won't say what their link to him is. What's interesting is that he was given clemency during COVID. So he was released from prison. Mm. And so now if he is in fact the lead suspect in these multiple deaths in the Portland area, you can imagine how that's going to make the community feel. Yeah. So law enforcement as, at this moment, however, this individual has not been charged. There haven't been any charges, but they have found a link amongst these four different women. Now, what's interesting when we talk about this case and then talk in a minute about what's going on in New York there was a lot of speculation when this story first came out that this wasn't getting the attention it deserved because many of these women were homeless. Many of them had um, different types of addiction. And so it was almost like they don't matter as much because they're homeless or have yeah, addiction issues, which some of the family members are like, look, they're still people. They still don't deserve to be murdered. They still deserve, we deserve Absolutely. some sort of explanation as to what has happened to our loved one. So now the fact that law enforcement is coming out and saying, we do have a link between four of these women, I think that's reassuring the public. The fact that they are taking this seriously, that these lives do have value, that these lives do deserve justice. And hopefully we'll hear in the next day or two where this investigation is going. It's interesting because uh, I, I was just at a at a party, my friend Jillian Lauren, who did um, Confronting a Serial Killer about Samuel Little. She just mm -hmm. wrote a book called Behold the Monster, which just came out. And uh, she's going to be on this program and we had a gr great interview. But um, again, the same thing is he left a trail of, of at least 93 different women that he had murdered. And most of them were, uh, had addiction issues, were in and out of, uh, of custody themselves. So they were discarded and she had worked so hard to really give voices and, and names to these and faces to these women that like you, you shouldn't be d discarding them or, or, or derailing or just terminating an investigation just because of their 
behavior, like they're still people, right? And and they're struggling with real real situations. Like nobody wants to be a, ho- a homeless drug addicted. And I think that they, they these people being car- you know cast discarded as like this they're insane. minimized. Yeah, they're, they're being minimized. minimized is what's being done. Yeah, and that's people are people exactly. And yeah. also, what's to say that somebody who's perpetrating these crimes doesn't do that to someone else? Correct. Prominence, for example. Correct. Correct. Well, and you know, back when I was a, an investigative journalist, that's during the time when Jeffrey Dahmer was discovered. And the question back then in the early 90s in Wisconsin was, well, how could there be all these murders and all these missing men? And why didn't the police department make some sort of statement? Why wasn't there some sort of public awareness campaign that there's a danger out there? And the bottom line is because these men were minorities and because they were homosexuals. Exactly. Precisely. And, you know, they were minimized because of that. And it was once it came out and the fact that one of the victims was actually returned to Jeffrey Dahmer, um, there was such a public outcry. Yeah. So returned. returned. He managed to escape. And um, he was a minor, and Jeffrey Dahmer was able to talk to the officer and say, well, you know, I've got him. He's had a little too much to drink, that sort of thing, and then ultimately ended up murdering this individual. So, you know, whenever I see cases such as what's being discussed in Portland, and we're going to talk about New York in a minute here, um, this involves the murder of many women who worked in the sex worker industry. That, too, has had um, criticism because by family members and friends of these victims saying this hasn't been a priority investigation because of the type of work that these women did and their lives had value. Why is this being minimized? Why is this not getting the attention and the resources that it deserves? So I think there are parallels between the Portland situation and what's going on in New York. Yeah, because those, those women who were victims of, of the Long Island serial killer were also women that were sort of discarded by society or, or we're living a life that a lot of people considered, you know, whatever. Well, and <laughs> some of it, some of it made those... it difficult because some of them weren't, they didn't know they were missing for quite some time after they had been gone or missing because of the industry that they worked in. It wasn't necessarily abnormal to go, several days, if not a couple of weeks, without hearing from them. So because of that nature, it also complicated the case. But certainly, when we look particularly at the Gilgo Four, as they are referred to, four of the victims um, were in the sex worker industry. They advertised on Craigslist. They were found all strangled death by strangulation. They had this unusual burlap that was used to wrap their bodies. There were definite consistencies. Three of them were between four foot 10 and five feet tall, about 100 pounds. So you look at that pattern and you say, okay, this is clearly most likely the same perpetrator. Well, then in and around the recovery of those victims, they found several other people, but killed in a different manner many of those victims had been dismembered. And so the question becomes, 
is Rex Hayerman, the individual who has been charged now with three of the four Gilgo four murders and is suspected in the fourth, is he also responsible for these other dismemberments and the other victims found along the Gilgo Beach area and in the near proximity? Yeah, because it, or, I know that there were a lot of there were some true crime podcasters that were also very much on, they were saying, suggesting it was somebody in law enforcement that was involved in this. Wasn't that the speculation? Or well, there is. This is quite an interesting story. If you go back historically and look at this, um, this all really came about back in the 2010-2011 timeframe. There was a woman by the name of Shannon Gilbert, and she disappeared. And on the night of her disappearance, she also was um, a sex worker. And on the night that she disappeared, she had a driver who dropped her off um, at the client's home. And the client actually contacted the driver outside and said, look, she's behaving very erratically. Would you please take her away? I want her to leave my residence. And she fought this client. She wanted to stay. Well, ultimately, she left the home and ran throughout the neighborhood. Now, she ended up calling 911. And on the 911 call, which goes on for several minutes, about 23 minutes, she says, they're trying to kill me. They're trying to kill me. Well, was she referring to the driver and the client or was it someone else? Well, ultimately, she did end up going to a home of a doctor who is somehow affiliated with the county. And this doctor ended up calling the Shannon's mother years later and saying, well, yes, I did see her, I did see her. Well, then the mother goes to police and says, why aren't you looking at this doctor? What do you know about this doctor? He's the last one to see my daughter. Well, then he allegedly denied calling this mother. Well, then police are like, well, who do we believe? Well, they got the phone records and it turned out the mother was right. So there appears to be some sort of contact with this doctor. Now, this doctor is also friends with or affiliated with some former members of law enforcement who have hampered this investigation. And one of them was fired and ultimately prosecuted because he was corrupt. And he also frequented sex workers. So did he not want this case investigated? And did he not ask the FBI to join the investigation because he didn't want his own activities discovered? So there is elements of corruption that have been alleged in this situation. But ultimately, when Shannon did not return home and she was determined missing, that's what prompted the search of Gilgo Beach. And they didn't find Shannon right away. Instead, they found these Gilgo four wrapped in the burlap, all strangled. And then the search continued and it expanded. And then they found multiple other sex workers who had been dismembered. They found what they believed to be a transgender male who is still unidentified to this day. They found another unidentified Jane Doe who had been dismembered. But part of her remains were found way back in 1996 on another part of New York. So that begs the question, has this person, is the person responsible and charged with three of the Gilgo four? Is he also responsible for these other murders? And has he been murdering since as far back as 1996? 
Or do we just have just a complete coincidence that other victims are dumped in the same location and proximity? Two of the victims that are dismembered were also sex workers. One of them is five feet tall, um, 100 pounds. There are a lot of consistencies between their situation and the Gilgo Four. The only difference is they were dismembered. Now, if you ask me, I think regarding Rex Hairman, my theory is his MO, his modus operandi, I think it depends on whether or not his wife was in country. His wife is from Iceland. It is very common for those married to foreign nationals, for the spouse that's the foreign national, to return home to their home country for several weeks, usually during the summer months. We see a lot of these victims went or disappeared during the month of July. I think, quite frankly, when this wife was out of country, I think that's when he had the propensity to strike. And I believe when she's gone for multiple weeks at a time, then I think there is a likelihood he would have invited some of these sex workers to his home residence and had the ability to dismember them and then clean up. However, if she's in country, then I think it's more of a situation where he calls her from his architecture firm in Midtown Manhattan and says, honey, I have a meeting tonight. I'll be home late. And she doesn't think anything of it. He's just like any other husband calling to say I'm working late. And then he sets up a meeting with a sex worker. And because he doesn't have the access or the time or the leeway to dismember, those victims ended up strangled. That's my theory. I think there's too much of a coincidence amongst these victims to be more than one perpetrator. Hey, movers. Did you know that one in five Americans has learned a new language on their bucket list? If you're one of them, make 2024 the year you finally check it off with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Designed by over 150 language experts, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are your passport to speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Real people, real conversations, that's the Babbel way. Babbel's tips and tools are not just lessons. They're companions in real-life situations. The approachable, accessible content is delivered through conversation-based teaching, ensuring you're ready to shine in the real world. Before Babbel, I couldn't imagine effortlessly ordering food, asking for directions, or chatting with local merchants, and all without consistently checking a language app while I'm on vacation. But Babbel makes it easy, providing the practical skills you need for real-life scenarios. Struggling with pronunciation? Babbel's got your back with speech recognition technology, helping you perfect your accent and sound like a native speaker in no time. Hola. Hola. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash collier. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash collier, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Collier. Rules and restrictions may apply. Wow. Wow. So, so he, so he essentially, um, so he's got this successful architecture firm in, yes. in Manhattan. And so it's much like my father, they said, kill, healer by day, killer by night. This is, you know, 
architect by day, killer by night. Um, this is it is taking what 12, 13, 14 years for them to get to this arrest. Is that well, correct? that's correct. Well, since these remains were found in 2010 and 11, it was December 2010 and then into 2011. And I should mention, Shannon Gilbert was eventually found at the end of 2011. So, over the course of about 12 months, is oh. when they found all these victims in a very close proximity along. Oak Beach and Gilgo Beach and in Suffolk and Nassau County, New York, Long Island. Ultimately, this case was hampered and it went dormant for quite a while. And there was resistance. The former police commissioner chief did not want to bring in the FBI. Well, then there was a change in leadership. And a little over a year ago, um, you know, new chief in town and they formed this task force, this collaborative task force of local, state, and federal officials. And they really got serious. And they found they had they had really good evidence. It's just a matter that technology needed to catch up with the evidence they had. Their wow. big tip, the big first clue was the fact that one of the Gilgo Four, a woman by the name of Amber Costello, she had, she was a sex worker and she had an appointment with a client and it's believed that that client was Rex Harriman. Well, ultimately she felt uneasy when he came to meet with her. So allegedly she called an associate who through my back channels I'm hearing was a pimp. And the pimp said, okay, I will pretend to be your boyfriend and run interference mm. and we'll get rid of this guy. Well, this alleged pimp saw the vehicle that Rex Hairman was utilizing, and it was an oh. unusual vehicle. It was a Chevrolet Avalanche, green in color. Now, that's not a common vehicle, first edition. So that helped because it was such a good vehicle description. Then... Hairman was using multiple burner phones or disposable phones uh -huh. that you can purchase at Target or Walmart. Yeah. Well, several of these burner phones, law enforcement was able to determine they were coming from the city where Rex Hairman resides. Mm -hmm. So now they have a city or a, a, a more specific location and a yep. vehicle description. So they could run in the state who owns this type of vehicle and who owns this type of vehicle and lives in this town, well, then they were able to connect the dots and he got on their radar. Then when they examined the burner phone some more, they hit a gold mine. Court documents reveal Howerman used burner phones to arrange meetings with three of the victims for sexual encounters. They released these surveillance photos of him buying the phones and this selfie, which he sent to one of the sex workers. Some of the calls from the burner phones hit off a location in Midtown Manhattan. Guess what's there? His architecture firm. Then he had a Tinder account and he set up that Tinder account with a fake email using one of the burner phones, <laughs> but he paid for it with his true account, his true no financial way. account, which, you know, that's a big no-no. So he also allegedly utilized some of the cell phones of the victims to make phone calls from the same locations where the burner phones were used. So all of that matched up. But then the big 
big clutch evidence was the fact that on these burlap sacks that were used to wrap the four, the Gilgo four victims, they found on multiple victims hair from his wife. And law enforcement was able to determine she was out of town at the time of these homicides. So therefore, they believe he transferred that hair onto the burlap, either through the instrumentalities he utilized to commit the homicides, or they were on his person and then simply fell off when he picked up the burlap bags and was wrapping the victims. So that would be considered transfer evidence. And then finally, there was one hair that was found, again, on the bottom of one of these burlap sacks. That has um, characteristics, male characteristics. They got a DNA profile off that single hair. Well, then they were able to get uh, disposed pizza. When he threw out pizza, he had chewed a piece of pizza and left part of the crust. Well, you can test pizza slices for DNA. And they were able to obtain the DNA from the pizza and they compared that DNA to the hair strand on the burlap and it was 99.98 or so percent consistent. Yeah, so that was the big linchpin. Now, what's interesting of Nell Collier is the fact that we know from the prosecution and law enforcement that he was still utilizing burner phones. He was still contacting sex workers. So was he preparing to strike again? Did his wife have a trip planned? Was she planning to leave again in the near future? Was he revving up? And is that why law enforcement went in and got and arrested him now? Because they anticipated he maybe was getting ready to strike again. Was there a trip planned? We don't know. We don't Uh, know. She, I understand as of today, because it was really quiet. I mean, this all broke on Friday. Yeah. And then I didn't hear anything about her all weekend. And I'm like, well, is she out of the country? Um, All I know is she was interviewed. And he has a daughter. She was interviewed. And a stepson was interviewed. But they don't say, were they interviewed here in country? Had they gone to Iceland? Were they here and left? Were they there and come back? I don't know those details, but I do think a couple things will be interesting. Number one, I think it will be interesting to see what sort of details the family members can fill in as far as did they ever pick up on any abnormalities? Did they ever find any of these burner phones? Did they ever find jewelry or souvenirs or trophies and wonder, why do you have this necklace? Why do you have this lock of hair? Why do you have A, B, and C? Were there any times he gave them an alibi of where he was and the alibi didn't check out? I think all of that will be interesting. Additionally, he allegedly owns properties down in South Carolina, some remote lots who, uh, from what I've heard, back up to um, ponds that connect I mean, you talk about an ideal dumping ground. I have a feeling South Carolina law enforcement will be looking at their unsolved cases to see, is there anyone down here he may be responsible for killing? And then additionally, I've heard he spent quite a bit of time in Las Vegas at a timeshare that he owns. Now, certainly Las Vegas has its share of sex workers. I think law enforcement there will be looking to see what unsolved cases do we have? 
what disappearances do we have? Additionally, I want to know what they find in that home. They are executing search warrants not only on the main residence, but also his architectural office, two storage facilities. They have had the medical examiner present at the searches. That tells me a lot. That tells me they anticipate finding human body parts. Well, that lends credence to my theory that he is dismembering people if they have the medical examiner there. Additionally, a freezer was removed from the residence. Now, in my 20-some years in law enforcement, typically when you removed a freezer or you searched a freezer, you would find one of three things. You either found drugs, you found cash wrapped up like hamburger meat, or you found body parts. So if they're taking a freezer... That says to me, either there were human remains currently in that freezer, or they believe there were human remains in that freezer. At one time, they did presumptive blood testing, and they either came up with a result that was positive for hemoglobin and the belief that there was blood in the freezer, and or they came up with indications that the interior of the freezer had been cleaned to remove blood. So I don't think the fact that they took that freezer is a fluke. They took that freezer for a reason. It's all very disturbing. You know, my, uh, um, Susan, my adopted mother had said that they found 200 guns in his residence, which, you know, whatever. I mean, people collect guns, you know, especially when you have money, I'm sure you collect all kinds of things, but also, of note was a hand grenade. Is that correct? I have not heard about the hand grenade. However, I did hear that they confiscated a life-size doll that was encased in glass. And I find that particularly concerning because you can't just take odd things in a search warrant. It has to be something that's articulated in the search warrant. So when I think about what would be likely articulated to seize, I think they would include mementos. And one of the victims that was found on in the Long Beach area, um, along with in close proximity to one of the sex workers, was an infant, was a toddler. So was this that infant's doll or or so I, I thought that or is this some sort of doll that is dressed up in the clothing, the jewelry, hair ornaments, anything that the victims had on their persons, is this kind of like the trophy where he puts these these the underwear or the tops or whatever these victims were wearing um, and keeps it as like his, you know, souvenir? Um, I think think it's significant. I just don't know why. What is it about that doll? Did it belong to one of the victims or is it dressed in things that belong to the victims? It's just all so sad. It's very sad. I think though that the good news in this, there, there are some silver lining points in this. And one is, is that these individuals who have been murdered, 
they will seek justice now. This is being taken seriously. This task force is serious about this. There's no more delays. They are actively looking not only at the three murders that have been charged. They've got a fourth one that they suspect he is responsible for. And certainly they are looking in all these locations where they're executing search warrants for anything that may connect him to these other victims. They want justice for them. And so I'm happy for these families that these victims and their family members are finally receiving the attention that they rightfully deserve. I also think that this is a great deterrent because with this case, with Koberger, with Matthew Nilo out in Boston, uh, with his sexual assaults that recently he's been charged with that date back to 2003, 2004 timeframe back in Boston, genetic genealogy and these geofencing warrants, they are getting people who would normally be able to escape and get away with their crimes. We are able to determine who is doing these crimes now because technology and processing of this type of evidence has advanced so much that we can we can determine things now that we couldn't five, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um- did you see the arrest video? I've only seen the transport of him. And he certainly was of incredibly larger stature than all That's of the guy. officers that had him in custody. He is, I mean, they're saying 240. I think he's well over 300 pounds. I think he's oh, given easily. his height easily. Right. Because I know guys who are 240 and they're solid mass, just muscle. And he's he's he definitely had not only the height, but additional weight. Um, I think he's well over 300 pounds and very, very large. He is someone that would stand out. And some of the things that are so chilling about him, he gave an interview that is on YouTube and it was done by a bonjour realty, a French real estate or realty firm. Okay. And they interviewed him about his architectural prowess, shall we say. And in this interview, he makes this weird statement about having this special kind of woodworking hammer. And he admits, I have a woodworking shop in my home. So if you're looking for someone who's dismembering bodies, here he is admitting, I've got a woodworking shop in my residence. But then he says, and I have this one cabinet hammer that is very persuasive. I have one tool that's pretty much used in almost every job. And it's actually a cabinet maker's hammer. Oh, okay. Kevin needs to make a hammer. Okay. It is persuasive enough (laughs) when I need to persuade something. Not someone. Something. (laughs) And it always yields excellent results. And at the end of the project, whatever piece of furniture or what I'm working on, it always helps it come out beautifully. I mean, I heard this statement and I'm like, okay, all the statement analysis people at the FBI are going to be losing their minds because this is the most weird statement ever about the fact that he is very, very clearly attached to his tools. He has particular favorites. And to make such a statement that you use this hammer to persuade things, I mean, that's just chilling, just chilling. Very chilling. Yeah. So I think certainly 
I, there was a, a case of tools taken out of the home, several boxes, the freezer, as I mentioned, the strange doll. I think they are going to go over that home and those storage facilities and the office just with a fine tooth comb, looking for any sort of fibers, hairs, anything that can be collected that may link him to these other homicides. And then, as I mentioned, I do anticipate additional search warrants at his additional properties, if that is in fact true, that he has properties in South Carolina and in Las Vegas. And I do believe what they will do is do basically a historical timeline for him. Where was he? Where was he back in the 90s? Where, when did he travel? When did he go places? Are there missing women and, and murders at places he traveled to? They're going to look at financial records for him. What did he buy? Did he buy these certain garbage bags that are consistent? Did he buy the Rubbermaid container one of these victims was partially found in? Did he buy these burlap sacks that are rather unique um, and used as duck hunting Blinds. Um, I think all of that will be critical to this investigation. And then, of course, it, it was announced during the press conference on Friday that he has a great, great, great um, just fascination and depraved sense of um, fascination with child pornography and torture and mm. it's very mm. very gruesome very gruesome so and some of do these they find these items do they yes find the, the, now and the... that's a good point because they came out and said we know he's got all this on his computers well that tells me they had a title mm. three application up on his computer and i think they had that application up because they wanted to see when he was setting up meets. I think they were afraid he was going to strike again. So the fact that they know he had this, and it explains, given the fact that he has such a fascination with child pornography, it would lead, lend credence to why he seemed to target women who were only 100 pounds and short, four foot 10 to five feet tall, because they're more childlike in size. Yeah. Also, and some the doll, too. And, all. and so the doll. Really fast, what is a Title III? Uh, what oh, is that application? Yes, that's an application for a wiretap, where law enforcement can tap a phone, tap a computer, something like that. Or even perhaps maybe they wanted to tap his residence or office and install a microphone that they could do that as well. But certainly given what they know off the computer, I think they were on his computer. Yeah. And they, and so they, this has been a, this has been a work in progress for a while. They've been, they've been, but this didn't just come together overnight as we. They've been on to him since March, 2022. So, um, yes. And, you know, I think it would be logical that, you know, certainly they would do, man physical surveillance with people but i also think they were technologically tracking him as well where is he going what's he doing who's he meeting with um what sort of you know when does he contact sex workers or try to hire some sort of sex worker for a meeting i think that also will be fascinating are there workers who will come forward and say, I was with this guy and here's what he was into. Here's what he said. Here's what he liked. You know, I think the fact that several of the victims were strangled, 
I think there are men that get off on kind of autoerotic strangulation as their sexual, what they like sexually. Um, I think it'll be interesting to find out if there are sex workers who survived that said, yeah, I let him do that. And as long as I didn't put up a fight, he didn't. Did these other victims perhaps not like that and establish some sort of boundary? And therefore, that's why they ended up murdered. I think it will be interesting and fascinating to find that out. And additionally, there was a woman just a couple of weeks ago in July who was in a wooded park near his residence. And he jumped out of the woods at her and she was spooked. And so she ended up calling her sister and having her sister pick her up at this park because he would not leave her alone. And she was so disturbed, she filed a police report about this individual. And of course, he is large in size. So when all this came out on Friday and they showed his picture, she was like, that's the guy. That's the guy. So can you imagine? I mean, and here he is jumping out of the woods at a park. So to me... That seems to suggest he may have been getting ready to strike yeah. again. Yeah. Lots of red flags. Well, thank God they got him in custody. Absolutely. What would a defense look like for him? I mean, I know well, very early on, but that's like, a how good would point. you? <laughs> that's a good point that you say that because, because if they find obviously human body parts, game over. And if they find souvenirs from the victims, personal belongings and effects that belong to the victims, that's pretty much a game over too. You can't say that you didn't kill them. Then I think it really becomes a defense strategy of mental incompetency, um, um, some sort of you know, lack of competency argument. However, he's working he's as an architect. architect. He's an architect. With, like, well, how with, can you argue that in midtown Manhattan? Exactly. Like, come on. Are you kidding me? How could you even exactly. argue that? That's going to be the problem because he's got this YouTube interview where he talks about how important he is to the New York planning commission. And he's doing all oh these specific detailed plots and plannings and schematics and meeting deadlines. And, you know, a, an architect is a very organized profession, very detailed, and certainly you need methodical. Methodical. So what? you know, if I don't think having some sort of um, incompetency defense, I don't think that's going to fly either. Now, given the fact that he did taunt some of the family members of these victims with their phones and made these weird phone calls to these family mm. members. I wonder if he's going to be one of these killers who just wants, yeah, come on in Dateline, interview me. Let me tell you all about what I did. Is he going to oh. be a showboat? I don't know. But, and and, and there, what are some other showboat killers that have been in this situation? Who are those people? Because it's a point of pride for some of these people. I mean, I know Samuel Little was like that with, with, with Jillian, but. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer did quite a few interviews, many, many interviews. Um, Some don't. Some don't want any attention. Um, The BTK killer, he he coughed it up right away. Here's what I did. Now I did it. So it just really depends, Um, you know. And, you know, I think people kind of get caught in the trap of thinking, well, he's a serial killer. He must have killed animals when he was young. Maybe but maybe not. They're not all cut exactly the same out of the same cloth, so to yeah. speak. 
And there are serial killers that treat their wives lovingly, never raise their voice. He, he's been married to this woman for 25 years. He has a daughter with her. Um, I think perhaps his fetishes and his urges that he could have been very successful at compartmentalizing that. Um, you know, I, and I don't know if maybe you can opine on this based on your experience with your father. Yeah. You know, he clearly was able to compartmentalize things. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And he also, you know, uh, I remember there were stories of, of him like heal, trying to heal wounded birds and help animals. So my father, even though he literally kicked my dog and threw it across the room at another later on in life, mm-hmm. uh, he was very, you know, kind and concerned and wanted to be the doctor and the healer when it came to animals as a child. So there were never any stories of him doing these malicious things, but obviously we all know how this played out. He was a psychopath and he murdered my mother. So mm-hmm. yeah, you can't, I, for a long time tried to figure out like, was he cut from this sort of cloth of the, the typical trope of abuse and neglect and, and, you know, uh, um, essay and things of that nature when you're a child and that affected his, 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 how he became, you know, the man that he became. And it really, it was none of that was true at all. He had a quite mm-hmm. a nice life. So. Uh. Well, and you know, that's the thing. And the other astonishing thing, and this surprises me, but then it doesn't. The fact that he's an architect, but his home in Long Island is so dilapidated. It's the eyesore of the neighborhood. And many neighbors had complained about it because it is an upper middle class neighborhood. And it's very run down. It's, in, you know, just very dilapidated is the best word for it. But then on the other hand, he owns multiple properties in other states. I've read that he is significantly in debt and owes significant back taxes. So you kind of wonder, was he really that great of a businessman or was it all kind of a shell game kind of thing? Now, I do find the fact... Or was he trying to make a new uh, revival of uh, Grey Gardens? Well, you know, I find... No, you didn't find that funny? Come on. That was my my Hamptons, Long Island joke of the day. I only get one of them. There we go. Sorry. Sorry. So, (laughs) well, here's it, because this is quite serious. I do find the fact that he lived in such a dilapidated home consistent with people into child pornography because while I've never worked on a child exploitation squad, I did assist on many arrests and searches. Mm -hmm. And when we would search these homes of these individuals or the bedroom or basement when they lived with their parents, their rooms would be just filthy and full of rotting food Mm -hmm. and um, fecal matter and disgusting. So, and you almost wonder, was that by design to keep people out? Well, did he leave his house in such a dilapidated condition to keep people away? I don't know. I don't know. He didn't want contractors coming up and working on the pipes in the basement. You know, is that why? I don't know. I I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they found in that home. Yeah. And did the wife live there? Yes. Yeah. Married for 25 years. And my understanding is she had a son from a previous marriage. And then he and she had a daughter together who worked at his architecture firm in Midtown Manhattan. 
Yeah, I mean that. Of course, I think about the you know the wife and the kids. I just. Well, you know that's the thing is the that rug pull. the rug pull, the Jekyll and Hyde, you yeah. know, and that's why I say their interviews will be very interesting because were there things that they can look at now in hindsight to say, oh wait a minute, when I asked him about this, he to- he said this. But now I see could have really been that, you know, things that didn't add up or what's this? Why did you get a disposable phone or, you know, why did I find this chain, this necklace chain or, you know, things like that? I think it will be interesting to see if anyone questioned him. Like we've heard with Koberger, allegedly, that his sister questioned him at Christmas time. When he returned home to the parents, why are you wearing these latex gloves, Brian? You drive a white Elantra, Brian. You know, she started to ask questions. Did anyone in his family ask him questions? I think it'll be very interesting to find out if they did. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jody Weber, a pleasure as always. Is there anything else that uh, you think anybody needs to know? I think those are the big stories right now. Um, Portland and the Long Island serial killer, but certainly I'm so grateful for you having me back on again and always a we'll pleasure have you to again. talk with you. We'll have you again. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Her podcast is called Caught in My Web. It is available on Patreon. It is the hit true crime podcast available on Patreon. Check it out. Jody Weber, thank you so much. Thanks, Collier. I want to say thank you to my guest, Jody Weber. You can check out her podcast, the hit true crime podcast, Caught in My Web, on Patreon. And on that note, I want to say thank you to all my channel uh, subscribers, channel members, Patreon members. Thank you all for supporting the program. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. For exclusive content around this podcast, please consider supporting me via Patreon by going to collierlandry.com forward slash support. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from, and please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see video episodes of this podcast, please check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash collierlandry. You can find links to additional resources in the show notes of today's episode. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Copyright, Collier Landry.